Welcome back to Beyond the Now. In this episode, we debrief our interview with Hillary Hayden, titled Building a More Cooperative and Collaborative Economy. If you missed her interview, you might want to go back to get context for this episode. Actually, Amanda, we get to hear the last little bit of her wisdom before we get to the debrief. But we promise it was a great interview and will be worth your time. How do you keep going? What is it that keeps you going when when you recognize like, hey, I'm I'm not doing as great as I was or um, when things around you just get difficult in in this like social movement lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So I think anyone who wants to do this for a really long time um, needs to have a solid self-care routine. You know, knowing like what kinds of things you need, how much quiet time I need, how much, you know, alone time, like unplugged from my phone and my news notifications and whatever else I need is really important. Um, Mm. And then the other thing, and this is something I actually talked to a graduate class about at some point, but I think it's fine. Um, Religious folks are really comfortable with the idea of having devotion time, which is their uh, way of connecting with whatever divine being they believe in. Um, For Hmm. me, I have stolen the idea of having a devotional time and it doesn't happen every day. Um, But where I try to read things that give me a picture into someone else's um, strategy or someone else's successes. Um, And so like the the best ones for me are are versions of books that lots of folks have contributed to. So there's a book called Radical Hope um, that has a whole bunch of letters that people have written um, to their grandkid or to, to whoever um oh, about wow. social change um there's a book called the impossible will take a little while and it's a book about people who who a whole bunch of different people who worked for a really long time on something and in the end they got what they wanted but it maybe took their whole career to get there um and so for me like hearing stories that, that other people did it or how other people got through it is really um helpful to me i think Sometimes I read whole books. Sometimes I just read essays. There's an essay that I have hanging on my wall at home. Um, and it's called A Council of Resistance and Delight in the Face of Fear. Um, wow. But I think the the theme of a lot of this stuff, of the reading and of the work that we do is like, we spend our whole lives working on it and maybe we get all of it, but most people just get a little piece. Um, I think a, a quote that sort of suits this too is like, you're not required to complete this work, but you're also not free to abandon it. And I think that sort of sums up um, this long-term commitment. But but th- those are my strategies, like spending time alone, um, being in nature, and then just getting some encouragement from other people who have also had to sit through this period of like, is anything I'm doing making any difference? <laughs> Am I getting anywhere? <laughs> right. I think there's so many young people who experience that. Yeah. I mean, the barriers are huge. The barriers are huge. And I think um, a lot of the problems that we face have to do with power Uh, and no one who has power hands it over easily. Hmm. And so it just takes a lot of persistence and a lot of time and a lot of being shut down. And I don't know, I don't mean to like, I don't know, like make an idealistic world out of struggling over stuff, but that's kind of what it is. It's just like, accepting that this is going to be a long-term fight and we're all going to get through it at some point. Right. That's a balance, like you were saying, of, you know, there's a coming to terms with reality and there's also um, the act of doing this very difficult um, work that mm-hmm. requires hope. And I love yeah. your self-care routine. I think it yeah. 
makes a lot of sense. And uh, a lot of us need to hear that, um, that it's okay to need space and to process or to be disappointed. Um, yeah. Also, like you said, that quote is beautiful. Like, you know, we're not going to finish the work necessarily. Um, we might not see what we want to see yet, but yeah. we can't abandon the work. Um, and I think that's why collective uh, efforts, community networks are so important for us. Um, yeah. As change makers, besides that, um, yeah. podcast is like, you as a change maker um, have your own community and network that is fostering you and fostering your life mission. Yeah. I kind of wanted to ask you, how is your life mission fostered through your community or network? Yeah. I want to say one more thing about the last question. And I didn't write this in my note, but um, yeah. I hope that people who are working on social change, who are dealing with things that are hard, take time at least once a week to eat food that they like and like not... <laughs> You know, not like ordering a pizza. Like I, I try to get food from my friend who runs a, um, a CSA, a community supported agriculture farm. Um, or like I try to make bread once a week or, you know, something, something to help me feel invested in my own food system, because I think people get really, um, I mean, we're busy, right? Like we're running from place to place doing this and doing that and trying to, trying to really maximize the, the, the use of our time. Uh, and I think being reminded to slow down and cook for myself uh, is a reminder I need sometimes. So go make yourself some food. I love that. <laughs> I really love your focus and, and your background and, um, you know, food security, agriculture, yeah. and things like that. I really relate on that topic and would yeah. love to speak more about it with you, actually. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Thank you for making that interjection. I made yeah. empanadas last night, which is a laborious process. Yeah. It was so much fun and it involved so... people who were around me. Like I couldn't yeah. finish it in time alone. I needed help. And I love yeah. that process of like yeah. people and eating good food. And It is this beautiful experience to connect around food. Um. Okay, so the question you asked me is, how is my life mission fostered through my community or my network? Um, And I think this is a pretty interesting question. I I personally seek out two things in my community. And the first one is self-interest, but it's comfort. Um, I have a lot of really good like-minded friends that I can reach out to when things get get tricky um, or when I just need help with something. Um, Hmm. These are people I know I can lean on. And this is like the next thing I'm about to say is so key. But these are people whose advice and judgment I 100% know I can trust. They're people who I can say something to, and I know they're going to come back with like just something that's helpful or, or something. They're, they're people who I, I don't have to, um, I guess. So for me as a social change maker, a lot of my work requires me to filter the voices I'm listening to and say, well, this person wants me to do this because blah, blah, blah. And this person wants me to do this because blah, blah, blah. These are people who don't have a stake in what I think, and they're just there to, to give me advice, and they're people that I, I know I can count on and know I can trust. Um, yeah. And I think having those folks, a network, not like one, but like five <laughs> of those right. people is really important because what one person can't do it. It's kind of like, I think everyone has this friend in middle school that's just like always going through a problem. Uh, <laughs> and you're, you're like, look, I want to help you, but like... I don't want to talk about your problems all the time. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes with doing social change stuff is like, I'm that friend who shows up and always has a problem. That, that's why it's so important, I think, to have like uh, several of these people that, you know, you can go to for stuff like this. The mm-hmm. other thing, and I think this 
This might be typical for social change makers, and I'm not sure it makes us better or worse at what we do. But I have an, uh, some kind of internal fear of being stationary, <laughs> of, of like being sedentary or not being pushed to grow or move or change in any way. Preach. Um, yes. <laughs> I do. I, I thought you might relate to that, Kayla. Uh, and so yes. I, I try to connect with folks who believe different things than me or have different skills than me. It means I'm always chewing on new ideas. I'm always trying to learn something new. Um, and I see social change, as, like I said, as this long game that we're all contributing to. So it helps me kind of situate myself in different struggles and different long game narratives. And it also just challenges me to do stuff I would never do otherwise. Um, I have a friend who really wants me to go rock climbing. So I learned really briefly to rock climb or um, I had to learn at one point how to make these little videos. I'm terrible at anything tech related. And so I had to learn to use like not even anything fancy, but like iMovie, okay, <laughs> to make yeah. like some little some little video, you know, with the video and with a, a little slide at the front and the back and, and some kind of audio that goes over the top or whatever, you know, like something actually very simple, um, but just like learning these new skills. And so I think for me, those things give me life and help me kind of shape my own narrative for, for what I'm moving towards. But they also just challenge me to keep learning and growing because uh, I don't like, I don't know, like the feeling of being rusty or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's the whole point of self-care, right? It's it's creating an environment for you that you feel healthy and growing in, right? Yeah. And I don't think it can be uh, copy and pasted at yeah. all. I think we can only encourage each other to keep on trying different strategies. This has been such a great conversation. Just know that we have so much respect and admiration for your work and who you are as a person and are just so excited to continue to follow your work and hopefully if you're open to it Kayla and I were saying that we would love to have a more pointed conversation around cooperatives um, and maybe just do another episode on that so totally yeah I'm like totally down uh, to continue to use my work uh, however I can you know and I think in my thesis I talked about some someday at some point I'll put together some um, kind of like a guide for international development folks like this is how to use these as a tool because I think that educational piece is sort of missing but no I'm like always happy to always happy to talk to folks about stuff um I really enjoyed first off reading the whole thesis and then getting context for maybe where Hillary might be coming from and then actually hearing her speak about her experiences just hammered in how powerful cooperatives are and mm -hmm. can be in the future as well yeah i think it's so it was to me very encouraging to just get back to hey there are even more methods and ways of change that i haven't encountered that i'm not informed on a big part of her uh, writing was also to highlight that when the necessary policy changes don't happen these grassroots organizations struggle to thrive and a lot of the change maker uh, effort is really lost because there aren't the necessary policy changes yeah i think it's idealistic of me to say that the legislative process should be supporting change makers mm. but we need to have a certain kind of awareness that when there isn't a foundation that i mean how how much traction do we really have? Yeah. yeah yeah that's a great point um, and something we didn't get so much into uh, during the interview, but that she did write about is 
Cuba's specific combination of state-owned economy and cooperative-owned economy. Mm-hmm. So there's this quote, um, <clears throat> agriculture in Cuba was 80% managed through state farms and 20 cent, 20% managed through cooperatives. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, these state farms were broken up into cooperatives. And overnight, the sector became 70% co-op and 30% state farms. So it's now this drastic change, right? So that's specific to Cuba, but 10 years down the road, like she was saying, the transition has been successful in the sense that, you know, Cuba's moving away from, like she was saying, the neoliberal economics and this desire for globalization. um, And they're putting the wealth back into the hands of the people successfully Mm -hmm. while balancing government and state-owned um, you know, businesses and, and cooperatives. So like you said, we have to have both. I think it's not realistic to just, you know, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Um, change makers in general, no matter how young or old will, will always agree at least at the very least on the shared power principle when it comes to systemic change or grassroots change or, call it what you may and that shared power needs to be divide well divided between all of the stakeholders i think it, it makes it it brings up a interesting point in my mind about how much change are we really making in places like africa when there is very little legislative processes that are being tackled i think cuba is a unique example because the us has kind of from my understanding, rejected it historically, you know, because of their involvement with the Soviet Union. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's a great place to get back to something Hillary mentioned, having a consistent time of reflection on hope and perseverance. And that to me is still a lesson I think I'm learning in, in this community development field which is, yes, holding on to hope when you're surrounded by suffering, the suffering of others, but also choosing to persevere and choosing to endure, uh, not despite of yourself, but we're, we're persevering for a very specific reason, right? Yeah, no, definitely um, going into the conversation of what it means to be a change maker and mm-hmm. the mindset that she pointed out, which mm-hmm. is a social movement mindset. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that really me um even though I couldn't remember it until I read it again um so it's this idea of the long enduring and the the waiting and the envisioning of Mm. a better future um Mm. and I say waiting I think because like you mentioned you're not you're not necessarily going to see the results and it's going to be difficult and there's going to be points where you feel like you know you failed or that you have to wait a little bit longer to the real change especially when it comes to policy mm-hmm. um yeah just the end goal being oh she said something wonderful which i can't wait to listen to again um something to the effect of we might not see the results in our lifetime but it's not our it's not for us to see it necessarily our only task is to not give up that it's a long process And that you need to get perspective on where you are in the process of things. Um, Mm. I think the last thing that I would want to mention um, to our listeners that was really profound to me when I asked Hillary 
how are change makers, these hero entrepreneurs, how are they going to engage with cooperatives when cooperatives seem to be working only when host communities start them and fight through them and take genuine ownership of them? Uh, And her response was, it's not about bringing in, but what you can bring out of a community. And Mm. I really appreciated that. But having that perspective change is so valuable to me because I can then say, hey, you have the capacity to bring something out of this community by who you are and what you have to offer. Mm. I love that point. It's really important to bring that up because it's a point where a lot of us will come into conflict internally and externally when we're trying to do the work of being a change maker Mm -hmm. and the statement that she made on that topic which just she she said she was afraid to make such a bold statement but it was necessary to say that individualist thinking is destined to fail and that's coming up against your ego and your your understanding maybe um, culturally that that you as a person can make the change you know there's this whole narrative around like you matter mm-hmm. your vote matter you do mm-hmm. this one action you'll change the world and it's mm-hmm. like short-sighted it's not wrong but it's not the full story maybe in my own journey I'm still figuring that out in terms of okay how do we how do I step into this collective change maker world and who are my mm-hmm. allies going to be who, who is the network and um how do I maintain that mindset, the social movement mindset mm. on top of my cultural programming of being an individualist? Like that's right. the dissonance that I'm coming across. Um, and I, I think many young people are, especially in my generation, especially as an American. Um, I'd be so curious to hear if there are listeners who think differently um, mm. because of their cultural or just their background, um, you know, in terms of how they grew up and who their parents were. Yeah. They think it's just a very important thing to move forward with. Mm -hmm. And you bring up another point that we particularly want to focus on in the podcast, which is our our networks that build us up and keep us going and, and are a part of what makes us who we are as change makers and Hillary, when she was answering that question, I just made a note of how she was building intentional relationship. One, on the side of, this is a person I can trust for feedback on my life and my change-making actions. And another group that was, hey, who are the people who are going to challenge me in my understanding, in my thinking, in the skills that I have? Uh, Which, I mean, kudos to her for compartmentalizing her life like that. Uh, it's not as <laughs> personally uh, have right now, but I would definitely want to sit down and have a conversation with myself about who are those people in my life and where could I be more intentional looking at the people in my life and saying, what can I learn? How am I missing out on the potential of a, this relationship? in my life. I want to add to that. It's not a, oh, there's people are just there to gain from. It's realizing that it's a mutual exchange, uh, which again, I think has to bring us back to that collectivist thinking. Like I am 
because you are and you are because I am. And that's that Ubuntu that you were talking about, right? It's believing that uh, we coexist and in that coexistence, uh, we're creating our identities together. Mm. Um, it's not, a, I'm, I am isolated in the creation of my identity. Um, but being fully conscious of that co-creating and and finding joy and communing in that with each other. Yes. That sounds like something from your thesis. I love it. And so, Amanda, if you were to give advice to the Gen Z generation um, and they're thinking about systemic change, um, what would it be based on the conversations we had with Hillary? Yeah, I love that question. Um, my fellow Gen Zers, Hillary observed that, yeah, this is a very new thought that deserves more development. But anyways, the Gen Zs and millennials, they need to work together with their various strengths of looking at the world. Um, and just they need to recognize that ultimately our goals are very similar or the same in terms of we want to see a globalized sustainable world mm. um, anyone can listen to this technically around the world and that global narrative and those global networks are going to help us to be more empathetic more understanding of different cultures and therefore as we talked about already more sustainable because we'll know what solutions <clears throat> to apply in these contexts. So all that being said, we all have similar goals. If we are change makers, right? We want to see a more sustainable, um, empathetic world. Yes. And Kayla and I are coming together and we're making this podcast, trying to take the lenses of someone who's from Gen Z and someone who is a millennial and look at maybe ways that we can uh help each other and use our various strengths uh depending on our backgrounds our cultures and our generations to create this sustainable global world so my advice would be just learn how to see the strengths in other people and to look at differences as an opportunity and to learn and maybe find a better solution because um yeah, the goal is really we want to be effective. And if we're mad at each other or frustrated or can't understand one another, we're not going to make steps towards the future that we want. So I just feel like that needs to be said. I think that's so valuable. Um, a, a lot of the people that are your age and younger are experiencing the same things right now, right? Um, and I don't see a lot of agreement among Gen Zs, right? It's almost like you're celebrated for the things you agree with and villainized for the things that you disagree with. And the point that you're bringing up is so valuable um, to just remind us that, yeah, you don't have to accept someone's behavior when you don't agree with it, but you don't need to villainize them because you actually are causing harm to yourself and the opportunities that lie in front of you um, from learning from that mm. person. So, yeah. And I think yeah. my advice that I would give to millennials is that 
broaden your horizons and your thinking. It's not that uh, singular change and encouragement and inspiration and influence doesn't have to look one way. Uh, look at your strengths. Realize that you're really good at specific things and lean into those things and have an expectation that there are going to be people coming alongside you as you are intentional with your relationships that will support you in the things that you're not that good at and be open-minded to different strategies uh, and different ways of tackling problems. I think my generation will be the next to instigate change uh, as Gen Z follows us. But if we're not willing to open our minds to the, to the, to the necessary avenues of change, might that be, you know, you, you're busy with an, an NGO uh, and that's the project that you've been pouring your life into for the past five years, or you've been working yourself up uh, to start an NGO, or you've been working and serving in a community uh, and you see some change, but you're frustrated. I would just encourage you to, to allow yourself to look at other opportunities. Maybe that's advocating for, for a new legislative process. Maybe that's uh, finding someone in the community who's this, the, the strong man in that community um, that actually drives change and you are able to uh, bring out the best in that person. So I really wow. am looking forward to, to what our audience um, can give us feedback on, even just as they they've listened to to these tidbits. During Hillary's episode, we discussed the impact and future of the cooperative economic model to create lasting change. Hillary also shared her experiences of living into the life of a changemaker and the social movement mindset, a mental model for changemakers. And finally, Hillary shares essential examples and her thoughts on self-care for social changemakers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Now. Look out for the second half where Kayla and I will debrief the interview to discuss our insights and actionable takeaways. With each episode of Beyond the Now, we aim to encourage changemakers who are ready to take action on their visions and solutions for a more empathetic, diverse, and sustainable world. If you know someone who thinks beyond the now and is looking to build a life dedicated to social change, please share this episode with them. You can learn more about the podcast and sign up for our newsletter on beyondthenowpod.com. Subscribe to Beyond the Now wherever podcasts are found to make sure that you never miss an episode. And finally, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review Beyond the Now on Apple Podcasts because every action will help us build a diverse and inclusive network of changemakers. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.